Hi, I'm Peter Cox, and you're listening to Defining Boundaries, surveying the world one story at a time. Head over to my Patreon site if you would like to support the show. You can make a donation towards the purchase and upgrading of equipment, website subscriptions, and file hosting. If you would like to join me to have a chat or you have a particular person from our industry that you would like to hear about, please send me a message. You'll find the link in the show notes and in my bio on all social media sites. So if you're ready, let's go. Grab your drink, sit back, relax, and enjoy our chat. Defining Boundaries with Peter Cox. My guest today is Bruce Baker. Bruce is the Chief Technical Officer and Director at IntelliSpatial and Land Surveys, I think, to name a few. Bruce was born in Melbourne and moved around during his younger years. His aspirations growing up was to be a pilot. Now, obviously, that is not his career of choice as he's ended up in the surveying and spatial industry and has been for over 20 years. With a varied career from the water to the land, He is a geospatial professional with a passion for solving problems and developing solutions with the use of information technology. A recipient of numerous awards, his accomplishments include Best Outstanding Graduate for his Bachelor of Science from Curtin University, as well as awards as Long-Term Committee Member of the Australasian Hydrographic Society, the AHS. In his spare time, he enjoys the simple things in life, like that run parallel with his career, such as mountain bike riding and being on the water paddleboarding. Hi, Bruce, and thank you for joining me today. No worries. Thank you very much for having me, Peter. Pleasure. Okay, so let's start way back when. Um, you were you were born in Melbourne, in yep. Victoria, um, but you said that you travelled a lot in your long, younger years and you gave me a whole heap of different places that yeah, you have been yeah. and I'm not even going to say them all because yeah. I'm going to let you do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. interesting. My, my, my parents were both uh, 10-pound poms so they came out here uh-huh. in the 60s. Um, mm-hmm. Dad was ex-military, um, came out, um, mum came out, was a nurse. They met in Melbourne um, and, and therefore they had no family out here in Australia. Uh, and Dad was the bird of one of these, um, I guess, from the military days, bit of a wandering soul. So mm. um, he he worked for TAA in the early days. So I was born here in, in Melbourne at at, at Mooney Ponds, uh-huh. and then at, at a young age we moved to Perth. Um, and Dad kind of moved out of the aviation industry that he was involved in, um, and then we went to a. Um, uh, and then he then we moved to a little uh, a mining a uh, little sorry a farming community called Wild Catch in the middle of nowhere. So we lived on a farm for about two years. Yep. Dad got a bit bored of that. Dad fixed tractors and other <laughs> bits and pieces. And then he um, ended up going to, we joined, went to Mount Newman. Newman. In those days, it was a closed town. It was actually owned by the mining company. So it wasn't an open oh, town okay. like, it, like it was today. It was a private town mm-hmm. um, run by Mount, Mount Newman Mining Company uh, before it became uh, BHP. And then, um, so I went to school there. We, grew, we lived there for about four or five years. And Dad ran the apprentice training school there. So he, you know, his background, you know, training all the mechanical engineering um, mm-hmm. students at the, at the and they, had, they had a big, you can imagine, the apprentice training uh, oh, centre there. It was massive, massive. Massive, yeah. So I, I went, I did most of my primary school in Newman uh, and loved mm-hmm. it, you know, right in the bush. That's where I first came across the first time I saw a surveyor actually 
we were uh, playing out on, on our motorbikes out in the bush and um, come across this guy and set of leaves on top of this mound and he goes, oh, come over here, kids. And he looked, it was an old, uh, now I want to say it was probably an old wild T2. Yeah. Herded. And he goes, look at that. And we, I was looking at the telescope and he was he pointed on an eagle, uh, uh, a wedgie that was sitting on a uh, on a rock or a branch and, <laughs> and the image is upside down. I couldn't say, how can you, how can you read that? And he, uh, I said, what are you uh, building, uh, putting a new road? He stayed in Newman. So I was about uh, towards the, near the end of my primary school years, and then Dad said, "Ah, oh, let's go, let's go move to Port Moresby in Papua New Guinea." So yeah, we 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 moved to Port Moresby, uh, and Dad became went back into aviation, became what's called an air wilderness surveyor, uh, of which mm-hmm. part of that is air crash investigations. So right. you know, when it when an aircraft crashed, you looked at it from two aspects: you looked at pilot error, mechanical aircraft uh, error. Mm-hmm. Um, so we lived up there for about three years. So I, I finished primary school, started high school there, went to the international high school there. Um, and I, that was a different life in, in Papua New Guinea. Um, that would be so yeah. different. <laughs> um, when I was at boarding school, I had one of my good friends. Her father was in PNG and stuff. And, yeah, they obviously were in boarding school, not going to the schools up there in PNG because, yeah, they didn't really want the girls up there very often <laughs> yeah it, it was it's a it was from a security point of view you learned a lot i mean yeah. we had um we you know from a house protection point of view we had big gates big dogs uh barbed mm-hmm. wire and then we we had a almost like a safe room in our house um we learned how to use certain types of weapons you know if dad was away and because it would be quite often breaking so we kind of learned security wise what we should and shouldn't do <laughs> and we were lucky we lived right out in the airport. So after school, I was able to run down and go down to the airport uh, where Dad worked and, and hang around all the, um, the aircraft and stuff, which is why I wanted to be a pilot. I was going to say, so that's Dad where the pilot the comes into it. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally yeah, understand. Yeah. So um, so that's all I wanted to do would be uh, aviation, mate. Even my son today, he goes, yeah, what plane's that? Okay, blah, blah, blah. He goes, how do you know that? It's just, <laughs> that's what I had, I had a passion for. Um, and then, and you're right, at the time, a lot of the kids, when they left, in Papua New Guinea, you, you, there was a lot of good um, international primary schools there, but there was only one in, uh, for high school. Mm-hmm. Most kids went down to Queensland to go to boarding school. Yeah. So I was on the cast, Dad says, uh, did you want to go? And I was okay going to the Charter South or going down to Brisbane. Um, but there was an incident, happened, a security incident happened up there, and we decided to get out of um, Papua New Guinea pretty quick. It just became a very unsafe place to live mm-hmm. and operate. And, Dad was okay with it, but I think, you know, mum was like, mum worked at the Port Moresby Hospital. Um, she was the matron there and she'd seen a lot of things. She's like, you know what, we'll just go back to Perth. <laughs> so yeah, we, we, we came back to Perth and I started, it was a bit of an eye and I came back at the end of year eight, started high school in Perth and having been in Papua New Guinea and not been around, um, you know, being up and in things. Yes. Uh, yeah, it was a bit of a, a bit of a culture shock coming back to Perth. I'm bad. Um, <laughs> high school. So, so we stayed, we came out to Perth, um, unfortunately my dad passed away literally about 18 months later, so oh, kind gosh. of, so, um, yeah, finished, so yeah, but from year 10, just before year 10, um, he mm. passed away, and so yeah, finished high school in, um, uh, in, uh, in Perth, mum, and it was tough, mum, mum was working, you know, I, I even got a job, like, literally, remember, I was still 14, 
14, just my 15th birthday, I got out and went down to my job at Coles and started pushing trolleys like everything you know, everyone else used to do. <laughs> so started working pretty pretty young, mm. and it got to that point where what are you going to do for a career? And I'd always wanted to be a pilot. Always wanted to be a pilot. So I remember um, Mum took me, I was in the test you can do to get into a school in Perth at the aviation. And I um, I thought, well, I'll go there, I'll do this test, and you know, if I get accepted, pre-accepted in to, say, for the Air Force, I'll go to that school and do the uh, aeronautics uh, course. Now I found out, I, I went to the, did that course, I did, the, I did my medical, and I found out I was colorblind. Um, oh, no. I've never been, yeah, I was colour defective red-green, um, which means I could never be a pilot. Um, in, in fact, I couldn't do any role in the military other than they gave me the list of what I could be with my the color defectiveness that I had. I think it was a dentist, PT instructor, a cook, and something else. I'm like, um, and all I'd wanted to do was be in the airport. So, um, you got to year 12 when you had to make your choices, and I just, um, mum says, What are you going to do? So I just went through the book, you know, you got the old careers book you go through. Yes. In the time, I was really into heavy into scouting um, and surfing and just being outdoors. So, mm-hmm. thought, right, something outdoors. I was good at maths, good at physics. Um, Mum said, what about the surveying thing? So I enrolled. I put it down on the list of all my choices. And lo and behold, that's what I got. And, yeah, started uni as a, um, as a doing my survey degree at Curtin University. So, so what, year did you, what year did you begin at uni? Start, uh, 18, 1989. Yeah, okay. I started, yeah. How how did your mum did like did she know about surveyors beforehand or did she know anyone that was a surveyor? Because it's unusual, you know, for people to say, Oh, what what about surveyors yeah. when you really yeah, have no good, idea? And it's funny story, I'm gonna come back to there's actually it's very serendipitous and it comes all the way back. Uh-huh. Um, um and and it it only took us thirty years later to figure out this, but I'll um so, no, she just knew that I liked um, being outside and I liked yep. engineering. Like, I was yeah, okay. it, but I didn't, I couldn't, I'm not one I could really be in the office all the time. I just liked being outdoors. I was, you know, doing a lot of caving at the time. So I was always out doing, doing something. So, I, you know, being in the office for me wasn't, wasn't going to cut it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it kind of appealed. So I started, I started uni not really knowing what it was. And I thought, I'll do this first year and then I'll change to architecture, which is what I wanted mm-hmm. to do. And mum said, oh, why don't you go get some experience? So there was a, a license there working you know, just a couple of streets over. So I got a job with him working one day a week. And he crusty old bastard that he was. Um, he, was already, he was. But I learned, and, and I guess I, because I was already working at Coles, um, working, you know, Thursday night, Saturday, uh, just lunchtime. And then in those days when we had all day trading in Perth, uh, we kind of cottoned on to that. You mm-hmm. trade all day on Saturday. And so I worked with him on Friday, and he he started off. I, I worked with um, one of the other licensed guys, just doing pedestrian stuff, um, and doing basic set out, you know, chain, T one A, bolt on, DIY one thousand for the EDM. Had a pull, and then sometimes I go up the old man. We did a lot of the, do some more of the cushy jobs. He was such a hot. I mean, he could hardly well. He had a crook back, but he just never stopped. And he'd always he'd always be testing. He'd go right, hey. Got one more to do. If you knock off and come back to my house, oh, we're here now. I was well just finish it. Yeah, yeah. That's it. So he, that's the answer I, he was waiting for. <laughs> he, correct, yeah. And he was really good. I um, I learned, and then he he came to lecture um in the second year, just on um, 
some of the international stuff, some of the field stuff, and just the stuff he taught me on how to find pegs, um, you know, do the searching. So he went into the office, mm-hmm. the Department of Land in those days, taught me how to do searching, um, how to draw up the plans, um, just be, and, you know, just, just, just diligent. And, yeah, I just learned so much about what it was. Uh, I learned enough that I didn't, I thought, hmm, I don't know about industrial for me. Do you know whether that's, <laughs> So at, at the end of the first year, I did the whole summer holidays with him. Mm. At the end of the second holidays, I got a job at a guy called Max Wheel, who's a bit of a legend over at WA. Okay. I worked for a company, uh, McMahon uh, Constructions, and he was their head surveyor. And we built, um, we worked at uh, our, uh, doing pool roads and crusher plants and stuff. So he's more of an engineering construction. Yeah, he was about the same vintage as the guy the first guy with, but Max was, he would go a million miles an hour, be 45 degrees. And he used to run me on the jigger and he'd run around and he'd go, you drive it. And he'd go, hey, and I might, he'd go, I might some code for the, got this new control. He goes, I could do a bit of programming. He goes, what if we do this? And he, he would be asking us, it's 45 degrees, setting out pegs, doing caps, and he'd be asking you all these questions. And it was, and it was long days, mate. I was knackered. Um, yeah. but I learned so much again from him and he taught me, and because he'd done a lot of bush work in his early career, he taught me a lot about doing bush waddies and doing setups and cutting lines and mm-hmm. just, you know, using the axe. I, I, I learned a lot of my axe work through working with him. Um, yeah, it was, um, it was awesome. It was really, really good working for him. And I learned, like, oh, this is good. I quite like the engineering. And he was really into what he got into was the technology. He goes, oh, look, we need to use GPS for this. We can program this. We can automate this process. And, yeah, the old guys just take too long. We can do this. So he's really you know, ahead of the game. On the ball. And, End of third yeah. year. Yeah, he was, yeah. And mm. so, and I started to excel at uni. So, um, first year did okay. Second year, I had a real interest because the first guy I worked for had, yeah, this is what surveys that, okay? Yeah. So I started doing, I got more into it. Third year, even better. Fourth year, I got asked to do honors. So I thought, okay, I've cracked it here. This is, this is good. At the end of third year, there was an a internship with Woodside, who was a Woodside Petroleum, who mm-hmm. oil and gas company, mm-hmm. yeah. as a, a hydrographic surveyor. So I applied for the role, got it. And I did the whole summer then. And the first job they put me on was put me on a, an oil, a construction barge put, uh, for a uh, building a new pipeline between two of their um, big uh, oil rigs. Wow. And I just thought, this is this is me. This water. <laughs> There's no jiggers, but everything, everything about, everything about controlling the barge right on the surveyor. Yeah. All the telemetry, knowing where the, the, the tugs were and, um, controlling the tugs from, you know, in early days of radio, all the navigation software, all the displays, where the anchors went, what, you know, how far they pulled the barge along, did it stay on track and that pipe pull. I'm thinking, wow, this is surveyors, mate, surveyors part of the action here, you know, where, mm-hmm. where so yeah, kind of started. So fourth year finished and got a job straight away. So, so and, and obviously architecture was out the window. Way didn't even give it a second thought. <laughs> didn't even a second thought. Yeah. I, when I, I started working at Woodside, and they were really into. That's what got me into GPS. So working for them, oh, yeah. I did a massive um, geodetic campaign. This was in nineteen. This is in nineteen ninety-two. We were doing geodetic observations between um, all the offshore islands. So WA out to the Ashmore Reef, Scott Reef, um, 
Rolling Shoals uh, out to Timor and out to the Cocos Keeling Islands. Wow. Now you can imagine those days we had a full constellation, so we had yeah. to do um, we had to do about setups every six hours, wet and dry thermometers, observe over like four or five days. So we were camping on the islands by ourselves. So they dropped me out by helicopter um, with the emergency you know, in Marsat C, which is like a Teletax type system generators. <laughs> um, you wouldn't do it now because the fun police would say the risk is in those days, it was um, stripped out of suits, um, absolutely amazing. So that's what got me into GPS. Um, and then I thought, oh, this is, you know, it still wasn't a full system. And mm. then, um, yeah, from there, where they go, Woodside, worked there for a couple of years. Uh, I got made redundant. There was, they, um, there was a lot of us in our year, all the, all the graduates of my year, we got made redundant. And I, the reason was they just put a jacket in called the Goodwin Alpha platform. Um, and then it was about a year over due to construction. There was issues with the insert piles with the pilot. And so they'd lost quite a lot of money. Anyway, I was back working there literally two weeks later as a contractor. So it didn't really matter. Um, going from a permanent employee to a subcontractor doing exactly the same job. Uh, and I was getting paid more. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Lucrative. Uh, and I worked for a company called Raytel Survey, um, who were a British company. Okay. Uh, yeah, and so I worked for them back in at Woodside. And the Woodside stuff was okay, but I, I want to see some more. So you know, Raytel put me on some jobs. I did a massive um, fiber optic telephone, uh, fiber optic subsea cable from Sydney all the way out to Fiji and Guam. Wow. Uh, yeah, and that was um, using – and that was – yeah, some of the water depths we get down there. We had to do stuff down to about two thousand meters water depth, and I just remember thinking, "Jesus, this is pretty awesome doing you know survey and navigation down this kind of depth, uh, the ROV, and how just how the vessel operated, you know, um, all things that influenced operations, twenty-four hour operations." So um, I did that for quite a while. I did. I was out on that job for about uh, I want to say four months, four or five months, um, living out of Newcastle. So the ship. Uh, I lived on permanently for four yeah. months, and we'd uh-huh. come into port in Newcastle, or come into Sydney. Um, yeah, it was just an awesome job. Just um, and it's one of the last vessels. It was a, a vessel owned by uh, a telecoms company called Pacific Guardian. Um, oh, I've heard of them. Yeah, yeah. And, and in those days, you had a wet mess on board, so the officers. So we had to wear. I kid you not. I I got on the boat. Normally, most of the rigs I worked on, you just wore overalls. And then you wore clean clothes. When I got on this rig, they go, oh, you've got your white shirt and your black trousers and your black shoes. I said, what do you mean? She goes, well, uh, so the crew were all English and all, all the officers and all the marine crew were Fijian, uh, based out of Suva. And at dinner, you had a formal dinner, but like, very, like merchant navy. So we had, we had formal sit down meals every night, which meant having white shirt, black trousers and black shoes. Uh, and sitting down with the captain, um, which also meant we could drink alcohol offshore. And so there was an officer's wet mess. And um, <laughs> as long as you stopped drinking a certain time before you, you went to, before your ship, we'd have G&Ts and then oh, uh, nice. red wine with um, dinner, three-course meal, every meal. Um, so that's sophisticated. I, I love that job. I'm only, you know, I was only a young fellow, and I was thinking, this is awesome. And then... After that, I've never been on a vessel since that ever had a wet mess. It's kind of, you know, it, again, 
yeah, the, the fun place got rid of that. Uh, but it was good. It was, uh, I, lo- I, I learned a lot. I learned a lot, yeah. And then Gosh. after that, do you want me to continue? Yeah, keep going. After that, I had seen this paper on, um, on kinematic on the fly, um, GPS processing. And someone at Trimble had picked it up. And I got a letter asking if they could um, get access to my thesis. And then I actually wrote back and said, I'm, you know, I'd be interested in a job. And they said, we've got a job going in uh, Christchurch, New Zealand. So uh, Tribble had a big office over there. So I went over there for a job interview. I thought, oh, New Zealand's the place for me, especially from coming from WA. You know, I'd never seen mountains or snow like that before. And I thought, well, that's that's me. And so I moved over to Christchurch for about five and a half years working and I worked wow. in their marine division. Um, so I designed um, a lot of the first, um, was involved in testing the, um, the 10 or 20 hertz um, RTK stuff that we did. Um, okay. I thought a lot of the radio systems and was involved with software development of a project. It was uh, yeah, Trimble Christchurch, uh, Trimble Navigation. Um, huge. Um, Huge hub of innovation. So all the divisions, mm-hmm. uh, the G, like the early GIS controllers, the, all the field software, all the early um, um, what was the software called? SDR map. Because um, they used to write, they used to build stuff for secure as well. So the early controllers, field yeah, okay. controllers, the, S, the SDR twos, the SDR thirty threes, that all came out of a um, company called Datacom Research, which did, what was what Trimble bought. Um, that was why they bought the business there in New Zealand. And, um, okay. yeah, and for me, it was amazing. I was still, I was like 24, 25. Um, a lot of young guys and girls coming out of uh, Otago Uni, so a mm-hmm. lot of smart people. And then you had all the American people coming down from Sunnyvale. Um, and the travel, because I worked in the Marine Division. So we were, we were working everywhere. My, my area, I, I reckon I was away one week in four and I'd be going, and I'd be going to London. And do training courses to Western Geophysical, oh. Western Geco on our seismic system, yeah. uh, vertical seismic profiling and hydro software. Wow. Then I did, I did a lot of sessions in Bangladesh, uh, mm-hmm. where Trimble was uh, paid by the United Nations development team, uh, to train up the locals on how to do hydrographic surveys in the Ganges. So I did about two or three trips there. I did a lot of work in, um, India, uh, with, uh, the, their hydrographic division. Then I did mm-hmm. stuff up in Korea. Uh, a lot in Singapore. I did. I was in Singapore a lot. Um, did a lot of trips to the community to go and work in Sunnyvale, California, for Trimble. And America wasn't my first choice. I wanted to go to UK because um, I had a British passport, so I've got dual nationality um, yeah. to my parents. So I um, actually uh, left after five and a bit years, moved over to uh, London. Um, just did a bit of freelance work. I did a bit of work for Trimble actually over there at Plymouth Uni, um, helped them out mm-hmm. do some lecturing and other bits and pieces. Um, stay with, I'll stay with my mates from Trimble over there. Um, and then I picked up a job in a company called um, Sonodyne International. Now, Sonodyne make, um, they're one of two or three manufacturers in the world that make underwater positioning systems for the oil and gas industry, defense, um, underwater communications. So we build everything from everything for acoustics, positioning systems for streamers, for seismic um, 
streamer systems, okay. ocean bottom cables uh, systems, get a lot of underwater communications, marine positioning systems. So basically think of GPS underwater. That's what we were mm-hmm. building for you, inverted the whole thing. And we developed, you know, um, cool. uh, it was, uh, so I ran the software development team um, there, the public team of about, um, well, 14 mm-hmm. people. Again, doing a lot of work for people like Fubo in building systems and did a lot of work in the Gulf of Mexico. Um, we concentrated on deep water construction, what we call subsea metrology. So anywhere where it was deep water and you had to use underwater acoustics for positioning um, precise measurements and pipeline installations, that's what I did for about, I worked for them for, let's see, uh, probably five years. And then my last stint, I actually subcontract to, I worked in Norway on a massive project there called the Ullman Langer Project, which was at the time the world's largest deployment of underwater acoustic positioning systems for navigation. And so I basically installed and calibrated that and managed that array for a bath um, survey vessels and construction vessels for about 18 months. I've got a feeling I've seen, seen something. So, yeah, so we're in there. the UK for about... Yeah, so I was involved with Ullman Langer for quite a long time from early concept. Mm-hmm. Um, I did a lot of work down in um, Africa, West Africa. Um, oh, you know, the deep all water. over the world. Yeah. So I did, <laughs> yeah, we used to do stuff with the beers in Namibia, um, done stuff for um, Total in Angola, Nigeria, did some stuff in Mauritania for Woodside. Mm-hmm. Um, else we've been, did some deep water stuff off Borneo, um, off Balakpapan, some deep water stuff there for um, Conoco Phillips. Um, where else we did some stuff up in Japan, really deep water stuff, like 7,000 meter water depth. Some wow. really for, um, getting down to, you know, um, the, the, the uh, where the two tectonic plates nest right down at mm-hmm. those subduction zones, doing some, they had some, you know, the Japanese have got a, uh, an advanced, um, well, spent a lot of money scientific on doing, um, earth crustal movement stuff. So we had some systems that would do subsea navigation at that kind of water depth. Uh, the company developed a lot of that. So we would just develop systems, you know, off the shelf, but also, you know, unique bespoke systems for, um, uh, a lot of for oil rigs. So we did a lot of work. Um, you would have, you would remember the, um, sadly the, uh, deep water horizon. So yeah. we used to provide the acoustic positioning systems for those kind of rigs and, um, that what we call the BOP controllers, which is the bit where the BOP is the, the blowout preventers that's on the seabed, and then you've got the drill pipe that comes out, and mm-hmm. we would do the real-time monitoring using acoustics and tele- subsea telemetry as a backup system to wired systems for monitoring those angles and the relative positioning of the rig to the to that on the, that position on the seabed, because um, the rigs have no anchors; they're all dynamically positioned. No, they're all yeah. They've just got. Is it four or individual? Big, four big thrusters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So our, our navigation feeds into those DP desks. So you mm-hmm. have multiple levels of redundancy. You have DGPS. You have acoustics. Uh, and then sometimes you've got inertial. And then you've got backup to the DGPS. So that all feeds in in a big common uh, filter and multiple stages of uh, mm-hmm. multiple independent solutions. So we used to design a lot of those and work with those manufacturers. So at, at the time, I was doing a lot of work um, in – and. It, at the heart of it is surveying, but it's about surveying in a really, a, a, a real different 
um, environment. So, you know, the core principles of 3D positioning, um, positioning accuracy, absolute relative, um, least squares, Kalman, um, understanding uh, posi- uh, observations to do with um, the survey measurements, whether that be... Who would ever uh, use that kind of stuff when they go out into the real world, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's why, you know, I say to people, I have had, I, I consider myself one of the luckiest people. You know, survey, surveying Korea has given me the best experiences. Yeah. Um, and I've worked with some amazing people, done some amazing projects, and I've loved and, and it's all been technology based. So Trimble to Sonodyne mm. was all about cutting, you know, and at the time we don't think it's like there's a problem. You know, how do we, you know, we, so when I say to people, what, you know, GPS, what do we measure with GPS? Oh, there's a, we measure position, now we don't measure position. And we measure, we measure range, you know, we don't measure range. We just measure time. Yeah. That's all GPS does. It's a very fancy timing system. It's the same thing with subsea acoustics. You just mm-hmm. use different signals to measure time. Problem is when we when we apply it to GPS, we, we constantly have is the speed of light, you know, that we apply. Yeah, yeah in or speed, yeah, in um, in um, subsea, you've got to take into account the variability because of water pressure, depth, salinity, temperature, impact, how fast that signal goes through. So it's not always constant. So you've actually got to model those parameters in real time as well as the range. So to get your distance to figure out where you are. So it's just your environment's different, it's more complicated. Once you understand that and how the ocean works, so you had, I had to learn a lot about um, that ocean, um, how water columns work, um, changes in density, pressures, and mm-hmm. the impacts of uh, various cycles, um, tidal, solitons, just all these bizarre things that you come across yeah. to, to make survey work. Did um did did you do any hydrographic stuff when you were at uni? Like did, I did, did it get yeah. touched on or Yeah, yeah, I was lucky. I did some of the first couple of units uh, that mm-hmm. we ever done at Curtin Uni. And I was lucky those guys the guys that taught it were all um ex uh Royal Australian hydrographers. Uh, uh-huh. so yeah. we were we had some pretty good um principal stuff. Um and then I was lucky because I'd I'd worked for Woodside in that, you know, the end of my third year. Um, Woodside at the time, not only they introduced me to GPS, I was actually lucky enough they bought a, the first ever multi beam echo sounder in Australia, uh, in Southern Hemisphere. Okay. So I got, I, I play with an Atmos Fancy 20 system, uh, doing channel surveys up in the Burrup Peninsula, um, which was awesome. You know, it, you know, oil companies these days don't do their own surveys, but back in those days, yeah. we actually had a survey division. So hmm. it was just, so yeah, I was, pretty, I was pretty lucky to be right place, right time. Uh, actually, it's not luck, but I think the harder you work, the luckier you get. So you just I worked hard and I got you work, I got, yeah, yeah, I just yeah. got luckier. I think you've just always been at the right place at the right time for. And and I think you've got to pick your mentors. Like I remember, you know, mm-hmm. going to Sonodyne, and I met this. Uh, I did a course back in Perth when I was at Woodside um, underwater acoustics guy called. Came out with Nigel Pelham, mm-hmm. and he spoke. And you know, when you meet someone who's got so much passion and yes. speaks with such authority, he was an older English guy, and he'd been at the forefront of acoustics. And he was like, he was like the god of underwater acoustics, underwater mm-hmm. survey. And I, I remember talking to my colleague, uh, uh, and I said, I want to be like him someday. <laughs> so when I went to the UK, I rang him up, 
and I was lucky enough my boss at uh, Woodside knew Nigel and told him I was coming. He got me in for an interview. They didn't have a position going at the company. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I went for an interview at 10 and I ended up having dinner at his house and a few other people. It was the longest interview. It was like a 12 hour job interview. Next day I was off at the job um, <laughs> working for him and I just, I loved it ever since. So I've been very, um, loved it. You chase it. You, you know, yes. And he was a mentor of mine. I, I actually, one of the last jobs he and I ever did together was actually in Hawaii. Um, mm. True story. This was about two weeks after 9 11. Um, we were meant to fly out um, on the day, or well, just the day after 9 11 occurred. And I remember watching it live on the TV at the office in, in just out of uh, in Surrey there. Um, and we had, it was a, a really interesting job on the big island Hawaii where they had to. They prefabricated this um, two-meter diameter flexible pipe that was about um, five kilometers long. It was mm-hmm. all strung together, and they were going to sink it down the incline of the volcano. It went from you know, five meters water depth down to two thousand meters water depth. Wow! Now the reason they did that is they wanted to use it as an inlet so they get all that pure water, and they were growing certain types of seaweed that needed these certain nutrient-rich rich waters. So they created this big inlet pipe, and, and also because of the, the temperature differential between the cold water of that and the warm water, it was self-propelling, and it was also an energy source as well, as well as grabbing the nutrients. So no one had ever done what we call a bundle tow that long before and laid it down in the seabed, and, and I worked with Nigel, one of our last jobs, and I remember we landed on a big island, and it's a big yeah, marine base in, um, in Hawaii, there and we landed at the airport and all we saw was these C-17s doing touch and goes. There was military personnel everywhere, obviously gearing up. Mm. And I remember we were on the barge offshore and I just remember we every day we were these aircraft screaming over the top of us, <laughs> obviously using us as target practice. You know, just I mean they were literally I felt like 200 feet off the water deck, just screaming over the top of the hull. Everything shake and vibrate, but it was awesome. It was, uh, yeah, it was, it was a good job actually. Yeah, lots, lots of different stuff. Lots of different stuff. Yeah, it's just amazing the things that you have got to do. So you kind of, you know, travelled the world and everything. Ended up back in Perth. Yeah, so um, uh, we came back. Been living in the UK. Uh, my partner, son. Mm-hmm. Then my wife. Um, we've been in the UK for five years. We came back to uh, Australia in 2004 just to take a bit of a break and figure out where we wanted to live. And we thought, oh, we'll go back to the UK. We'll go back for six months. Anyway, we stayed another two years. But we went back. So I did the Norway gig uh, for Sonodyne and for Norse Hydro. Uh, did a lot of work out of Mauritania. We came home in 2006 permanently. So mm-hmm. packed up and as soon as I'd landed back here, I got a gig back in Norway again. So for the next six months, I was actually commuted from Perth back to um, Norway uh, to finish off the Yulman Langer project. Mm-hmm. And then I started with a company with some guys that I know from my Rayco days, um, became a partner of a business called Triserve, um, and was basically their deep water, uh, subsea construction, dimensional control, metrology surveyor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we, that business, we eventually sold within two years to Neptune Marine. Uh, and I worked at Neptune Marine as the GM for the geomatics division and also looked after a little bit of a 
uh, in our divisions as well, so vessel management. So we did all the big surveys for impacts. So the pipe route, pipeline route surveys for the big impacts project at the Itchfus, we did all those. That was a 890, 900-kilometre pipeline route survey from Darwin all the way out the site. Uh, we did a lot of work for, uh, we put in, what jacket? We, we put in the Pluto jacket for Woodside. Um, we did a lot of, a uh, few other jackets down the Bass Strait. Um, we did lots of, so, and we were, started as a small company, grew bigger and bigger. We just did a lot of mm. geophysical metrology, hydro surveys, um, shallow water geophysical, um, that kind of stuff. Rig positioning, a lot of rig positioning, so sending subs and jack up. So we had a fairly big crew. We had 40 guys running around. Did a lot of work in New Zealand as well, did, you know, for Todd Energy and Shell over there. Um, so that was pretty good. And then um, I kind of moved up. Neptune was going through its trials and tribulations. It's a story for another day. And, and they had an opportunity in, 20, in 2011, 20, at the end of 2010. So um, Peter Rulo, who's the, at the time, uh, was the, is the, well, still is the majority owner of land surveys. Yeah. Him and I went to uni together. So we met when okay. first day of uni. We were two 17 year olds at, mm-hmm. uh, in orientation day at, um, at Curtin University. So we'd known each other a long time. He was looking for, uh, uh, someone to run the business. He had some personal issues that would take some time out to do. I'd obviously come from, you know, Neptune was an AS existed company. So I'd understood how to bring in, uh, companies. Um, yeah. Uh, how to work within those kind of structures and run operations. So mm. I came in and no real plan. Didn't, didn't know how long I was going to stay there for. So it was that 10 years. And we started um, with about, what do we have, 80 guys just in WA uh, and predominantly or, uh, just doing work for, most of our work was in the Pilbara. You know, um, okay. Mining infrastructure, you know, the iron ore boom. Yeah. Uh, and then I came on board and I thought, right, we've got to diversify. At the time, I just oh, I just finished my MBA, so I was just um, I thought, right, let's. When did you get time to do yeah, just, MBA just, in you all just, of this? You, you just you <laughs> just fit that in, you just fit that in, um, and then uh, so as I thought, you as you do. So we started. Um, we went just started growing organically, and we had a lot yeah. of go. You know, as the iron ore boom came off, I said, right, let's. Let's invest in Queensland. We invested in Darwin. We got on the Impex project. At the heart of the Impex project, we went from zero to 80 guys on that project, guys and girls in the space of about six months. So we had, it was a massive logistics on, and to buy all the gear, you know, we had to hock ourselves up to, to really, yeah. you know, make that happen. And you can imagine, um, that's 40, 50 jiggers, um, and, and, uh, GPS gear. So, Massive undertaking from our point of view and vehicles and stuff. Plus employed people, plus hire the houses. Um, but we didn't want it to be a flash in the pan, so we, we set that offs up for long term, um, you know, that we're there in Darwin for the long term. Mm-hmm. We've still got a fairly decent sized um, operation up there at the moment. You know, we've okay. got, um, we've got probably 10 people up there. So, which is really good. You know, we do all over, um, Northern Territory. Um, so we grew that. We started Queensland. We started Queen, uh, and we went to, started Melbourne in 2015 and we started Sydney about the same time. Um, mm-hmm. and then we started another business at the same time, the uh, utility mapping. Um, so I kind of. Cause uh, there's a, there's a few, lots of little, you know, little yeah. tentacles going off anywhere, everywhere, isn't there? When they're <laughs> all, they're all the same. They all, it's all about, um, 
um, it's all about uh, adding capability that kind of complements each other, you yeah. know. And so the underground services, they were, we were really, the companies in the garden were really good at the survey side and the locating side. It's like, well, how do we make that into a 3D deliverable? How do we start blending that with our point um, cloud, with our, mm-hmm. um, with our uh, we've got a mobile mapping system? So we've kind of, and then we've mm-hmm. got into we've got into monitoring. So we do we've done some of Australia's biggest monitoring jobs, you know, both um, Forest Field Airport Link, CYP. Mm-hmm. Um, we've just we've got Cross River Rail. Uh, we've got um, Sydney Central Station. Um, I think Sydney Central Station is going to be one of the most densely populated. Um, uh, total station monitoring jobs. We've got something like uh, 20 odd total automatic total stations running just at Central Station, Amazing. doing all the track monitoring as they're boring underneath. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we, we, we kind of pushed ourselves on using technology, getting really, really good people, um, growing our capabilities. So, everything we've done is grown organically. We've never bored anyone. We've never, um, we've like, and we've grown our capability. Mm-hmm. We've you know, in terms of the scanning, the UAVs, uh, the monitoring, uh, the DLAP, the utility map. Utility mapping now, we started in 2015 as well. It's now 55 people in that business across Australia. Um, oh. And land surveys now, we've gone from 80 people, we've just ticked over 315 in for that business around Australia, plus Papua New Guinea, plus... So within the group, it's probably close to 400 people. Yeah, uh, which, which is a... It, it, that's a lot of growth in, in the amount of time, but done in a way that you are definitely thinking about what's the next step what's the what's the new thing that's going to come along how can we diverse into something else and and as you said complement and all that sort of stuff and it's pretty it's always been a pretty impressive thing to to see happen i kind of take the mentality like what i learned when i was offshore mm-hmm. when i was offshore um the surveyor um running and it's all real time you know, it's a bit like machine control but you're the eyes and ears for everyone on that boat or that rig so you can't you can't you've got a 2d screen but you might be working in 2000 meters water that there you've got rovs working at different levels you've got obstacles rewards you might have cables you've got guy lines you might have mm-hmm. um, other obstructions you provide that real time where everything is the surveyor controls the systems the calibrations the accuracy the updates and then pushes that round to all the systems in it so that the captain sees it, the dynamic positioning officer, the ROV guys can see it, the construction operator, the crane driver, when he's putting that line down in the water, he wants to know where his crane hook is and where the basket is so he doesn't hit the ROV. There's a live gas line over there, a pipeline over there, he wants to make sure he doesn't land something on that. Where's the, where's the ship or the vessel relative to where it needs to be? Surveyors, the heart and soul. And I was always, I've always been, brought up and appreciated of being, you know, the services we add, we add value, we allow people to do their jobs, yeah? yeah. We're, we're not we're not the most important. We allow people to do their jobs by providing them eyes and ears in a real time, you know, and having those backups, contingencies and other bits of it. So I've, the way we've grown land surveys about, okay, what other information can we add that complements to give people a bigger picture, be more than, you know, it's a case of we'll be the larger than some of the parts. So, yeah, one plus one is more than two, you know, slightly more than two. So you've got to work, okay, what does that client want? What do people want? What can we add to this? Not just stop and go, yeah, we just do that. No, no, no. How do people use our information to do their job? So that's the way we've kind of approached it and grown it 
our systems and our capabilities and our um, you know the different service offerings, and they all link back to one another. It's all about yeah. commonality and adding a little bit more. Mm. But that all comes from you know working offshore um, and how integral real time geospatial information is to that industry. Yeah. So when you joined, like, because you're in Melbourne now, when did you make the move? Yeah, 20, 2016. So at the time I was the GM. Um, so mm-hmm. I'd done, I've done everything at Lenso. So I started off as a GM. <laughs> and then as we've grown, I took on the role of CFO, COO. Um, so I've done, I've done a little bit of everything. Um, I, I kind of did a little bit of a, have I got the right, right, um, the right names for you when when I was looking at my <laughs> intro because I was like, oh, wait, what companies? What what position? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, oh yeah. I hope that's right. <laughs> and so, so what I've done is over the years, I'm I'm, I'm always um, um my, my role is to um, empower people and get us to a point in the process and system so other people come in and do that role as well. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm there. You know, I have a finite life of what I what I do, and my job is to find the next person who who's hungry enough and wants to do it, and mentor them or get them up to speed so they can do it. So that's what we've done. We've grown, um, handover, and I've just gone back to, you know, now I get to do things I enjoy, which is that the technology, um, you know, working with our geospatial teams and our monitoring teams, and providing them clear strategy. And okay, why are we doing the things we do? And what tech are we going to let's invest in this? What money do we need some time to to evaluate, to purchase, to um, you know test the market, um, build build our own system, a combination of everything. So I'm kind of really I just and I sit over the kind of that visual engineering, um, data management, and technology stuff for all the businesses. So you know the monitoring guys, the um, Utility mapping guys and the um, and because I've got an experience in background in software software development from Trimble and Sonodyne, so I kind of understand what does it take to build systems. Yeah, and it's not you know unless you've been there and done it, it you need it's a big team with a lot of diverse type of people capabilities, and that's what we're we're just kind of moving towards. So mm. yeah, so, but I've done it. I've done everything on the way. Yeah, I kind of <laughs> I, I, I know as you said, I know I know a little. Yeah, a lot. Um, yeah. But what I what I do know. I think you probably know more than me, though. <laughs> I just know who I need to go and ask. Who I need to surround myself with. I know the questions yeah. I need, and I know what's kind of know what's um, questions I need to ask. Yeah. Uh, but it's about empowering people around you, getting good people, empowering them, and um, you know we're all going to make mistakes along the way. We go on a journey, but as long as we make mistakes together, we learn. Learn the mistakes together. We move on and become better for it. That's what. That's what. Yeah. That's kind of what my role is now. Is really that strategy mentoring. Um, you know, what's it going to look like? Mm. Did you ever think that when you started your career in surveying that you would be where you are now? <laughs> no idea. My um, no, it's a good question, and, and I think that's why when I reflect, you know, people go. Surveying, it's a bit like, um, a bit like a, a, a accounting. So when you do accounting, account, you, an accountant or an HR can work in any type of industry, you know? Mm. And I think one of the problems with surveyors, they just think surveying can do this. Yeah. yeah. And what I've learned and what I've, it, uh, surveying is so many things. 
Mm-hmm. You know, the number of people I've met who've done surveying and now worked out but they still use the core fundamentals. Everything I have done at Trimble, at Sonodyne, um, and even in business has been driven by survey and knowledge and uh, what people need. You know, taking taking what we do and how does it add, how does it add value to those people? Mm-hmm. How do we get what they need? So. Surveying is really, really broad. If you want it to be, you just got to look. You've got to take the blinkers off. Yes. Um, you know, you know, we talk about um, autonomous vehicles. Surveyors have a massive role. You know, those who can understand three D in real time, surveying and geospatial professionals. We're at the heart of everything geolocation. We just don't give ourselves credit for it. We try and pigeon on a. I'm just international. I'm just engineering. I'm just mining. No, no, no. Hey guys, anything in three D space. We're better than most people to be able to qualify. Okay, what accuracy do you need? Do you need millimeters? Okay, how do we chase millimeters? Mm-hmm. Okay, we only need centimeters. How do we chase centimeters? And, but we need it in a couple of seconds, right? What do we need? Or can we tolerate decimeters? Okay, what does it take to do that? We just, we need to take all the, our fundamentals and apply them. And we're actually pretty good at it. We just don't give ourselves credit for it. We don't look broad enough on how we can make a difference. No, I, I think you're, you're spot on there with a, a lot. A, a lot of surveyors are like that, but they are changing. They are. And, and the, the younger ones coming through can see it. Uh, in, in saying that, you know, there are the ones around our age and even some that are older that have grabbed onto technology as it's coming sort of thing. But in the big scheme of surveying, it is very much blinkers on. Yeah, look, um, uh, like uh, when I said to you, Max Milne, our older guy, but yeah. he was as bright as a button. He was already thinking. He was the one that kind of gave me that impetus to go and uh, um, think about how, how do we make things better, faster through technology, you know? Mm-hmm. And then that kind of, and then meeting, you know, Nigel Pellum, um, you know, this guy, I was like, you just, it's about being, it's about understanding yourself, what inspires you, do you mm-hmm. know? And for me, it was always about, okay, what's, yeah, when I saw GPS, and I was always fascinated, and I wanted to know how GPS works. That's why I went to Trimble. Once you figure that out, okay, what can you do with the applications of that? Okay, um, how does that benefit? And then how do we join other types of positioning navigation systems? You know, because in those days, it was very much, they were separated. I, I remember going to, with 1999, UK, I went to a tour with a colleague of mine, um, What's Neil's last name? He, he ended up being the Director General of um, Ordnance Survey in the UK. And he did a presentation. Okay. He goes, he goes give, it, give it 10, 15 years, and we will have mobile devices um, that will give us navigation and uh, wireless comms you know, that will allow us to go to a shopping mall and say, well, I'm looking for a certain, certain shop on a certain floor, and I can navigate indoors to it. Now, this is in 1999. Now, he's ex-Trimble, and, you know, Trimble had always been, and I was lucky enough to meet Charlie Trimble, and you can see, and people were always, mm-hmm. at that era when we were there, yeah. he was such a motivating force of, mm-hmm. of, of, of questioning and having a look at things. And I remember being at Trimble and going, yep, that's what they're striving for, but there's a lot of people from the industry who you know, are not from that going, nah. And I'm going, mm, yeah, it's probably going to be faster than that. You know, it's just, once you're in it and you understand how things are progressing, how quick speed is. Yeah, it's it, it, it's just about creating it, seeing it, understanding it, how do you join mm. the dots. Yeah. Do you think that your dad had a little bit to play in everything with his 
um, you know, being with, with the planes and, and doing all the things he did that kind of rubbed off on you a bit and brought you into wanting yeah. to always. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not necessarily think um, yes and no. I think what he what he did do, and I I'd probably do it to my son to wind him up. And that, if I got really good marks at school, he goes, "Yeah, room for improvement." And I always <laughs> I always took that as uh, you know do that little bit extra. But just being fascinated, I, at times when I couldn't talk to him, um, and I would ask him about his career in the military, or you know if there was plane crashes and how they would investigate. I just I was just thirsty for knowledge, yeah. and what he did teach me was to ask smart questions. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, questions and um, and and kind of also recognise when people are getting a bit tired, and you're wearing you're welcome wearing your welcome gear. <laughs> but you know, if you can, you know, and, and you know, we were talking about the mentoring. You know, I was yeah. saying that what you learn is you've got to um, you've got to be more interested in other people than yourself, and I think then you've got to learn more about them, make them feel. But you can also learn so much more about asking really smart, open questions that make them think, um, as opposed to you know, straight yes or no answers. And I think it's um, so he kind of he gave me a little bit of that. I think, um, mm. in terms of, yeah, asking those further questions. Yeah, I think that's hard for some people to do though. Yeah, it comes. Um, I think a lot of that came because I travelled around. Um, mm. I was reflecting on this the other day. You know, I work on ships. You know, say I was working in Mauritania. The crew were uh, some guy, Norwegian guys. I was working for a Norwegian uh, company. Um, their language, first language is obviously Norwegian, but they spoke perfect English. But some of the crew were Portuguese. The back deck guys were a combination of Polish um, and um, guys from Spain. So I've always been around, you know, most of the stuff, always multicultural. In, on yeah. the offshore boats, always, and so you have to work with everybody. When you're on a boat, you've got a, you've got an objective, you've got a task, and you, if you're the team leader or or like the head surveyor or the, the project surveyor team leader, your job is to get everyone from different backgrounds, and you can't go to you can't go and hide. You know, it's mm. like you can't get off a boat if you have an argument. <laughs> yeah, there's nowhere to go. Yeah. Um, you you have to make it work, and you kind of learn sometimes. You know, giving directions, but also being cognizant of different, um, you know, reading people, getting that feedback, and different uh, way people communicate. You know, some are mm. you know, some are very direct, um, but that's not how they interpret because English is not their first language. But also how you talk to them. So you kind of, and I think that's where where I kind of learned a little bit more about. You have to engage with people, and I have to understand where they come from, and I have to sometimes ask questions that I think are awkward, but they go, oh yeah, that makes sense then, because that's their background you know so yeah you're right it is hard but i think um you know one thing i I keep teaching from the soft skills point of view networking and asking those kind of questions and being interested in people will will allow you to go a long way Mm. that's funny i always find it difficult to start conversations with people in a room yeah so you just always sort of feel like oh what do you say? <laughs> My wife hates it because I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm much prefer to talk to other people than talk about myself. Like I'm, I want to know where they are first, and then I find some point of reference or something I can relate to. Because mm-hmm. then, if they can relate to it, that means something to them. So sometimes you got to ask a lot of questions to figure out something. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, yeah, it's not easy for everybody, and you've kind of got to read the fighting English too when your time's up. Do you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's like. 
yeah, this this isn't gonna go everywhere. This one, but um, I'll just walk away now. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But there's a way to do that politely, well, you know, uh, yeah. to excuse yourself and move on to the next one. Yeah, it's like speed dating, I guess. Not that I've ever yeah. loved dating, but yeah, no, I haven't either. Um, <laughs> I do when you're talking about the mentoring and stuff, and I do actually was just having a conversation. Um, um, with the guy that I'm working with and we were sort of talking about those sorts of things and he's also very uh, introverted and, you know, wants to learn how to um, ask questions and meet people and network and all that kind of stuff. And one of the things I did say to him was that, you know, you you do need to have an idea of who's going to be in the room and what do they do and what interests do they have um so I guess I do know what you're talking about I just maybe don't put it into place very much but yeah knowing what it is to actually ask the question for them to feel like you're interested in them and want to know yeah. about them yeah and that's and that's absolutely making them feel that they want to continue because they're interested in what you have to say but you're mm. also making them feel comfortable and um as I say, two ears, one mouth. You gotta, yeah, you gotta do more listening. Do more listening, mm, definitely. So, when did you move to Melbourne? Uh, so, I moved to Melbourne in 2016, and that was because we were, our Melbourne office was getting, growing bigger, and I was constantly yeah. commuting, you know, Perth and Melbourne. And my wife said, My wife's from New Zealand. So, it's like, Well, let's go halfway. Um, we looked at it, we said, Oh, Brisbane, Sydney, or Melbourne. Um, I love Sydney as a city to visit. I just don't think I could live there. Um, just the traffic and that. Uh, and Melbourne, uh, we love. You just needed London. to come to the south side. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Melbourne reminds us a lot of London. And, um, yeah. Because we yeah, love London. But yeah, yeah going from Perth, uh, London to Perth uh, was hard. Um, yeah, yeah, just culturally, and even though I'm from there, it was just a real. Um, it's chalk and cheese, whereas Melbourne suddenly it's like, oh man, this is like this beating the war, you know, it felt it fitted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, I love the culture, the people, um, yeah, the weather, the weather's the weather. You know what, you, one thing I learned living here in Perth, people take for granted, if it's sunny today, probably sunny tomorrow, it's probably sunny the day after, so, you know, whereas in Melbourne, if it's sunny today, get out and maximise the day and it's sunny tomorrow. Yeah. So you kind of, I find okay. you, you take advantage of it. You go, hey, um, yep, no, I'm not going to put that off today. I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. Mm. So, yeah, moved here um, and been here ever since. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. No plans on moving again? Uh, not until the kids finish school. Um, so my oldest then just started high school. So wow, okay. here for a while. And the other reason is our Melbourne's the headquarters for utility mapping. So, um okay. Spend a lot of time working with those guys, build that business up, um, and you know, working with them both technically and but also strategically, and also from the finance side of things. Just uh, mm. general. Um, and now they're up and running their own things. So I just really advise on a technical level and some strategic stuff. So mm. yeah, do you get to go out in the field with anyone very often anymore, or you? Yeah, I actually. Um, I've actually no, I am. Um, Try and do little bits. I, I get to play with some gear, so I do get. I do buy a lot of gear. Like I do, I do do some trial myself, a bit of processing. Um, 
I'm out doing some scanning actually uh, coming up um, on the level crossing removal. So, um, yeah, I do get out every now and then. Um, I do a bit of everything. Um, mm. And I'm mainly working with a lot of groups around the company, so uh, not just Melbourne based. So probably Melbourne's 10, 15 percent of my time. The rest is actually working with the teams, you know, up in uh, Queensland, um, over in WA or NT mm. or, or Papua New Guinea or. Mm. Um, and we've also got some stuff that we do in um, Singapore as well, so that gets you busy. Yeah. You're a busy man. I'm surprised you had time to come speak to me. Uh, easy. This is easy. <laughs> uh, you need, you need, to, you need, um, you need little breaks and distractions. Um, I'm not mm. saying you're a distraction, but, <laughs> you know, like, you, you know, sometimes you've, um, you just, um, it's, yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's good to have distractions because it's, um, as you can imagine, the routine we have is like Groundhog Day, so this is awesome. Mm. Yeah, do something different. And, um, yeah, um, there's no problems at all. <laughs> I mean, you could be sitting on the lounge with your wife and kids. <laughs> I've been doing that for the last 200 days. It's just like, <laughs> do something different. Yeah, because you, you can't go more than 5K, you know, or you're not meant to. You know, and, and we're still under curfew now. Nine to five. Just, yeah, just, it wears you. Wears yeah, you that's tough. I mean, we've been pretty lucky up here where I am that, you know, yeah, one person to go to the shops. Yep. Stay in your own LGA. Yep. And we've got a big LGA. So, you know, can, you can still go to the beach for a walk if you wanted to or, you know, that sort of thing. But not like some of the others that have got their 5k radius and yeah i think they did put night curfews on and stuff as well so i'm glad that yeah so we would say everyone everyone in melbourne has a 5k limit um, everyone has a curfew though we're lucky construction's still going which has yep. been a bit of a which has been good for us um and the survey industry as a whole has been awesome mm. um and you know you've got to thank governments both at both levels for Allowing that to happen, um, you know, the party central, and, and that's also driven by the amount of money we're spending on infrastructure. So, mm. you know, now's the time when things are a bit quieter to undertake some of those, um, construction activities. Yep. You've got less people on the road or on your network. So, yeah, we're yeah. pretty lucky on that part anyway. It's a bit of a, um, a bit of a, a, a nightmare trying to coordinate everything, um, getting all, all of your workers and, yeah, have you got permits and stuff down there? Yeah, we do. So and... the the team the team that run our Melbourne operations here, um, the state manager, his uh, the ops manager, and the, and the admin team are just amazing. Um, mm. Just old hands at it. They're just um, you know, I just um, never cease to amaze me how they get things organised. But their 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 welfare, their ability to look after the welfare of our people, just constantly amazes me. Yeah, um, that was going to be my next thing. <laughs> yeah, they they they're awesome. Um, we're all checking up on each other you know, over here, and um, just certainly you know, Jason Berry, they, the way we're just uh, just nothing but admiration on mm. how he can balance, yeah, you know, keeping them organised, but just keeping a check on everybody, keeping everyone communicated, and everyone feels comfortable because the way he does that real regular comms with people, um, yeah, amazing job. Yep. Mm, yeah, and that's so what important. it's about. It's all about communications and feeling. People feeling comfortable with what we're going, where we're going as a business, um, mm. and making sure we've got their back and that yeah. everything's going to be okay. Yeah, 
yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a good thing um what what do you reckon is the the best work advice that you've ever had best work advice best work advice i reckon uh, and there's something i said to my mentors the other day i'm in the other day is find a good mentor and your mentor is going to change through your life mm. you know but find someone and not necessarily it may be someone you work with but someone you want to strive to be or something that has got somewhere that you you either want to do that type of role that that kind of work or they've had some kind of experience um and that's probably ex that's what probably you know going from to woodside to trimble to sanadine and doing that is like they were all based on mentor people that I've met and wanted to learn yeah. more from. Um, mm-hmm. So I think, you know, because we don't know it all, um, and people around us have a lot to give us. And if you ask the right questions, um, yeah, so for me, I think the best advice is find a good mentor uh, mm-hmm. for the right reasons. And don't, you know, and mentors will change through your life. And, you know, picking the right ones at the right stage where you want to go and what you want to do is important. Mm. Yeah, I think um, I think sometimes there's a lack of it in the industry and everybody's just concerned about doing a job and it's just a job and they get up at 5 o'clock in the morning and they work their butts off all day and they get home at 7 o'clock at night and, and that's their life kind of thing and you sort of think, oh, is that what you want to do? Can you do that for the next 40 50 years or whatever and some people don't even think that different people that I've spoken to there's some real people who are just yep that's my job that's what I'm doing Uh, that's I'm never going to change and then then you speak to these other people that go yeah well I want to start here and I'm really interested in this and I'm interested in that and they can see a pathway of changing throughout their careers and stuff as well so um Yes, it's interesting because you know people talk about you know uh, writing down. I think the other thing, the, the the other thing I probably learned was advice was have a passion for something, you know, because mm-hmm. uh, that'll drive where you want to go, and and mm. so you can figure out, and you can and you and it can change. Like have a have a have a goal or something you want to learn or be or be motivated by, um, because we spend so much time working, you might as well do something you enjoy. You know, it's just you know you spend if, if you if you live to work or work to live, you kind of got to figure out which side you want to be on. Because at the end of the day, you spend a lot of time. I mean, we're probably working more out there than we ever have as an industry and as a society. Yeah, I mean, you know, and, and I kind of look when you worked offshore, you did 12, 14 hour shifts. And you might do four week stints at a time, might be a bit longer, might be a short, you know. But you kind of work a long time. You might as well do something you enjoy. You know, and getting, you know, and there will, there's always going to be down parts, but the, 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 the good parts you enjoy got about far outweigh the negative parts of it. Or just don't do it at all. Or find something you're just passionate about. Cause especially if you work with other people, you know, um, just time to go find it. You know, mm. just don't go, oh, this is it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, I've kind of found that too. I sort of always wondered, you know, what I was going to be doing or, and, you know, I left the industry for a little while and it was like, well, it's something I really enjoyed. And then I did a little bit of 
of teaching of software and when I actually really enjoy this so I could become a teacher and stay in the industry and that's where I've sort of ended up being I think my my passion is because I I love to help other people Mm -hmm. so you know and ending up where I am now um it's sort of I think I've never had a real massive plan or anything but it's I've always sort of always leaned back into that into doing that yeah yeah mind you I do miss going out in the field (laughs) (laughs) I I miss uh, yeah, the only place I do me a second, you know, I, I mean, I did, my, my kids asked me, you know, dad, and I said, you know what, I could actually quite happily do, go back off and, it's not very, it's not very PC these days in the oil and gas industry, but, um, I do, I do miss being offshore, working with big, big toys, in yeah. deep water and challenging environments in, you know, really technical engineering challenged environments. So I just, I love it. I just, yeah, I can't, um, um, but also like, I like the strategy side. And also, what I've learned as I got older, um, is actually empowering people and giving my advice. Like when you're younger, mm. uh, I've experienced it. I think when you're young, you're a bit more protective, power is knowledge. And I think as I've got older and I feel more of these grey things, um, you know what I enjoy more is actually empowering other people because you don't become so precious about what you know because you've got other things. You know, it's about providing them guidance high-level strategy but and the way you play it. I think if you're protective about it, it becomes really hard. And there's a point where we all go through that career. I remember, you know, being the best at it and, you know, uh, and I've done it myself. But then there's a point where you go, you know what, I can't keep doing it at this level because you have, constantly have to keep learning and evolving and things outpace you because you get either get left behind. You know what, it's easy to go start empowering other people and get them and they become the next generation of it and you've got other motivations and they keep pushing it forward. So that's what I probably, you know, I think as you get older, I get more enjoyment about providing that framework for them and go, hey, guys, girls, go do it. That's, and this yeah. is the bandwidth we're working in, how we check it in and getting to work as a team. Yeah. 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 And and having all those different, different minds and the way people see things and per, their perspectives and stuff really can when you get them all together and working as as one, you can come up with some pretty amazing things. Absolutely. And and it's and and it doesn't and it takes a long time. Because you've mm. got people and they've got personalities. They've got their own <laughs> thoughts, you know? <laughs> um, yep. They got their own personalities, they've got their own um, things that they triggers that um, set them off. Mm-hmm. Uh, put it all into the pot. You still gotta make the recipe still gotta work because the outcome's still gonna be the same. Yep. You just you don't know what what volume of each ingredient you're going to get in there. No, that's right, exactly. Mm. All right, but what? Um, no, I'm not going to ask this question because you've basically told me what motivates you. You 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 just love giving back and and seeing other people. I think that really shows in you that you do like to like you said you you keep changing positions because you like to give hand it off to somebody else and seeing them succeed so i think that's a really cool thing so let's go to the next one what's your guilty pleasure oh guilty pleasure. <laughs> i do uh, yeah uh, uh, it's two things probably red wine in one of them. Nice. And the other thing and the other one is um Mountain bikes or bikes in general. Um, I, I believe in the philosophy that uh, the number of bikes you ha- need to have is n plus one. 
Um, and and <laughs> I I, um, I do have quite a lot uh, a vast array of mountain bikes um, and e bikes and um, I just it, it's my little yeah it's my little <laughs> 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 <Your> guilty pleasure. <laughs> yeah. It's bad. Yeah, just um, I love it. I just I tinker. I change. I buy. I can't help but buying little bits and pieces and. Yeah, just um, it's my little my re- re- retail therapy, and um, yeah, yeah, and you know why? When it comes down to back to others, that you know, when we moved over here. There was a, I met up with some of the dads, and they had young kids, and started building a group where the dads would go out. And, like we wouldn't ride as hard as we normally would, but it's about seeing getting the young kids, you know, from mm. seven, eight, nine, taking them out and the girls as well, and getting them involved, at, like, and getting regular routine, and then going, yeah, when are we going to go? You know. Being out in nature, seeing yeah, we've seen we've seen koalas, we've seen kangaroos, we've seen snakes. We've just been to places and done things. Yes, we've fallen off, and, you know, other bits and pieces. But mm. we've been places and done things that we wouldn't normally do. I enjoy that. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, guilty pleasure. Yeah, it would have to be. Uh, you'd ask my wife. It, it's um, collect, my my bike collection is probably it is obscene. <laughs> it's way too many for one person to have. <laughs> We had a friend who just bought a um a, an e-bike. He's into his mountain biking and he's got, well, I think his boy is 11 or something as well. And, yeah, he's, like, telling my husband all about it and he's got off the phone and started looking and goes, oh, this looks pretty cool. <laughs> I, I've had all the dads around, hey, do you have Kelly? But, nah, they jump and, whoa, <laughs> you know, it's going to be scary. I said, mate, well, you can just buy one. I need, I need a riding partner. So, no worries. <laughs> Uh, um, you, if, you, if you come back in 12 months time, I reckon I'll have that three or four of them on, uh, on e-bike. I'll be that most hated man in, in, in where I live, so, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's funny. So in all of the places that you have travelled around the world, what's the most unusual place that you've been to? Hmm, unusual. Probably two. Uh, there's, a, there's a few. Um, Three. Mm-hmm. First one, um, there's a little island off WA called um, Scott Reef where Woodside, you know, uh, there's a, quite a big oil find there. Now, the, if you go and look on there, at Scott Reef, there's a, an outer reef and there's a sand cave. There's an island in the middle of it. It's 300 metres long, 30 metres wide. And when I went out there, there's three things on the island. There's two uh, lightning protecting rods at each end of the island. And in the middle, there's an automatic weather station on a little oh, tower. Mm-hmm. That just yeah, and there's just a sand cave, and I went out there and I spent three nights out there doing a GPS campaign, putting survey markers, ge- geodetic markers, and surveying them in, because in those days when we did seismic surveys, we didn't didn't use always GPS. We used um, range range or radio positioning systems, so systems uh-huh. called Salidas and Argos, which meant you need to put markers on the ground, put big towers up to send radio frequencies out. So you have to survey them first. So I was out there. That's probably the most unusual place. I remember being on the island in my little tent. It got down. At, you know, the coolest it got at night was 26 degrees because it's the middle of the ocean. Mm-hmm. And I remember being in my tent, um, covered in sand, sticking uh, sand everywhere, and then and there's no shelter. I had to just sit underneath the, um, the, the automatic weather station. And I'm in my tent. It's about 2 or 3 in the morning. It's bright as outside. You can imagine there's no, there's no light. Yeah. Pressure, stars remaining. I had yeah. stuff being flicked on my tent. And I go out, 
it's a full moon or just after full moon and all these turtles had come up onto the sand cave oh, wow. and had started digging their holes and laying their eggs. So the whole night, when I, was taking, I remember getting out every couple of hours with my wet dry thermometer to take my ops and reset the, um, the uh, antenna heights you know, for my observations every three yeah. hours and change the files and, and mm-hmm. change the position. Um, yeah, watching that. Number one. Number two, I remember going to the Canary Islands once to, to mobilize a vessel, just off Spain. Bizarre place, really bizarre place. Just, you know, the island and the layout and just volcanic, um, part of it. Um, mm-hmm. and in the same vein, um, in Mauritania, uh, there's a port there called Nokshot. Um, and I remember coming in and we sailed the boat down from Canary Islands, um, came in and the big, uh, couple of ROVs on board. We came into the, uh, port of Nokshot now. The, the, the port there is renowned for all the old fishing boats from the European fishing fleet made its way down to this port and they were scrapped there, um, you know, broken up. So they either go to a place like India or they go down to this place. And I remember coming into the port and the sun coming up, I was on the bridge and all you see is either masks, masts of the vessels or the, or the wheelhouses just sticking out of the water. So they basically either run them into the beach or take them in the shallows, drill holes and blow them up and just sunk them there. And there were wrecks everywhere. And I remember the pilot and the captain going, Norwegian, it was a Norwegian vessel, I was on the captain going, he goes, mate, I've never seen anything like this. <laughs> and the radars is pinging because we've got all these surface targets and navigating our way through all these old wrecks to get into Crazy. the port. Um, and it was, and it's, and it's the, and Nokshot is basically the Sahara, Sahara meets the ocean. Yeah. There's no right. vegetation. And I remember yeah. we, we took some supplies or something on board. We went out about 100 kilometres, massive sandstorm on the Sahara. We're off 100 kilometres to the to the um, to the west of um, Mauritania. There, the sandstorm came over the horizon. We're on, on the boat. We had to we had to the, we're working on the back deck, and the guy goes, "Hey, you need to get this sandstorm is coming." So we 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 ran back inside, left all our gear and that launch and stuff in the back deck. The sand and went they were getting everywhere, and all these and. This massive storm blew all these locusts and everything, and they all landed on the boat. This is a hundred kilometers offshore, and they were kind of jumping on us and trying to not eat us, but just trying to grab onto things. Yeah. And the whole boat was covered <laughs> in this dust. I reckon it was about a centimeter of dust. You just got covered in it, and it clogged wow. up all the air conditioning systems. And it was, it was insane. I've never seen, yeah. I've never seen anything like it. Yeah. So yeah, that oh. would be my, that would be my. I'd love to do some more. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know you've been so yeah, many places. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, but that was pretty, that was pretty crazy. That's pretty. Mm-hmm. And probably and Vindal in um, in um, Namibia. That's another pretty cool place as well. Mm. Okay. How do you relax? Is it mountain biking? Um, I'm actually I I, I relax easy. I can um, yeah I um I think as I got older I, I sleep really well. I oh. like a log. Yeah, I'm, um, I can compartmentalize. I can go, yep, time to switch off now. I go, I need to get up at 6.30, whatever. Um, and I can turn on and very rarely do things keep me away. I just otherwise, um, unless it, yeah, unless it's to do with people and putting people in danger, then the, yeah. I probably don't, yeah, I don't sleep. Then I've, you know, in the previous, you know, when we had guys working with ROVs or divers yeah. and sat and stuff, that kind of, that keeps you awake. But now I am, um, I relax. I am, yeah, biking. Uh, just, um, yeah, I'm big. 
a big reader of news. I actually um, I read the basis um, um, current affairs, not not commercial stuff, but you know mm. um, what's going on in the rest of the world. I think because I've been into the new place, I kind of I actually want to know. We're all on one planet. I actually don't. You know, we've all got to recognise each other's, and um, so yeah, just I read I read a lot on current affairs and mm. that kind of stuff. Yeah, I know it's a bit sad, but. Um, I do find that quite relaxing. Yeah. <laughs> Not sad. Well, yeah. well, what's, what what would be the most interesting thing that you've um, read this week then around the world? Yeah, interesting. Um, so there was a thing on The Economist about um, just um, kind of just fun facts about the yep. world. And one of them was about um, the, 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 the gambling loss per head of population in the world, like who... Who spends more money on gambling and who loses the most ahead of population? And who do, you, who do you think that is? It's us, isn't it? Yeah, it's exactly yeah. right. I've, I think and, I remember and, hearing and, something and, about that. And, and and I think Hong Kong was second by a long way. You know, we are, it's a sad indictment that, because wow. my kids ask me a lot about, um, you know, all the sports ads, you know, sports bed and oh. Latin Roads. And, and I actually, I love I love um, I love marketing. Uh, you, you know that show Grow and Transfer, um, mm-hmm. how they break down what marketing is all about, what they're trying to sell to you, how they're pitching it and stuff. I love that because I reckon because people, you know, people's um, uh, their emotional terms. How do you play to that to sell to them and you know what mm-hmm. you're trying to yeah, targeting? Um, but I'll say to my kids, you know, all these ads, all these, what is it all? They all talk about it. You know, in terms of I oh, need to get a labyrinth. Yeah, I was like, hmm, do you actually know what they're Trying to sell there, and you know, I said, How much money are you going to get? What do you need to feed that? And I went, Oh, do I put it in and I don't get it back? Well, you know, statistically, the odds are that you're probably not going to get it back if you put it in there. Yeah. So, yeah, kind of those kind of weird, and I just, um, yeah, just weird and wonderful facts and stuff like that. Mm. Uh, silly, but yeah. No, it's not silly. Not at all. Mm. Yeah, some people like that stuff some people like to read books that take them to completely fictional places yeah i'd say yeah look, yeah i like used to read look, offshore i used to read the base i could read a book in a, in a day or two you just you know when you get into something i'm one of those ones i'm in it i'm in it and then when i'm finished yep okay wait for the next one then i go <laughs> I just go into it you know that's yeah <laughs> I'm like that if I if if it's a good book and you sit there at two o'clock in the morning going, I'll oh, just finish that next chapter. Yeah, yeah, I'm like that. So I was always a night owl and when yeah. I worked offshore, so even at uni, i I did my best work from about eleven till two in the morning. That was mm-hmm. and same now. I I don't go to bed until quite late and get up. Just I just so yeah, that's mm. that's pretty normal. Yeah. Mm. You you know, Question you asked me before, and I, I said I'd get back to it about you know um, it was my mum picking yeah. the career. Yeah. So I, I just do what I mean. The, the other place that um, was of interest, you know, I've been to it wasn't for work, but it was uh, Tunisia. So um, my mum's father was a captain of the Royal Artillery in 1942. He was killed in North Africa fighting rebel forces. So he was in the um, okay. British Army. He was killed before my mum was born. So my mum never knew her father. She grew up an only child. Her, her mum never remarried. But he, um, so when we were living in the UK, he, 
I got mum, through mum over, and I said, oh, mum always wanted to go to his war grave, which is in the middle of the desert in Tunisia, a place mm. called um, Al-Shabaab. So we found out, we looked it up on the Commonwealth Graves um, site where you can you know, find the name, the rank, yeah. where, where, the, um, where the grave is. And it was, it, was, it was a good couple of hours out of uh, uh, Tunis. And I, mm. so we went to Tunisia for a holiday, and then one of the days we got a drive and we went out to this uh, Commonwealth War Grave, and there's, there's about 2,000 symmetry in the middle of nowhere, it's desert, and then suddenly you come up and there's a whitewashed concrete wall and a nice little arch, and then you've got this beautiful green grass and all these oh, beautiful, wow. yeah, it's really well maintained, beautifully yeah. kept in the middle of nowhere. You know, that mm-hmm. green grass has no right to exist in that desert, yeah. you know. Anyway, um, so my, my, my grandfather, um, he's um, a captain in the World Artillery, so he's uh, to the front. Um, we read the headstone. And it was um, Captain uh, G.T. Hall, Geoffrey Tattersall Hall, um, 2nd Survey Regiment, Royal no. Artillery. No. My mum didn't eat, yeah. So my mum had no idea that he was actually in the Survey Regiment in the Royal no. Artillery. And I kind of, I, we were kind of, I very emotional with my mum because she's never, never knew her dad. And that was the yeah. first time she had some kind of, something tactile to go, hey, that was, that was my dad there. Mm. I never knew the man. But for me, it was like, yeah, the whole survey regiment thing. I'm like, um, how did that, how That's does. Crazy, yeah. yeah how, did that happen? how did that, how did that happen? You know? Um, cause it's not on, when, you, when we look back on, on the Commonwealth, uh, Warfare's community, it just says, um, you know, something, something, Royal, uh, Royal Artillery. It doesn't say what regiment he was in. Yeah, and right. so, yeah, it was, um, it was very, and it was like, wow, that's, um, yeah, it was, and it could have went, that's, um, circle, yeah. Yeah, it, yeah, it was like, well, and, and I love what I'm doing, and I'm like, um, well, you go, it's just, um, it, it's been in the family, we just never knew it. Mm, yeah, that would have been pretty special for your mum to do that. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a it was a tough day, that was, yeah. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, pretty emotional, yeah. Mm. And so, her, her mum just turned 100 last year, so, um, oh. yeah, so, so she, her, Mum has been a widower since she was she was widowed at twenty two, twenty three. So uh, yeah, it's pretty it's pretty crazy. Gosh, what a life! Yeah. And so she's in England. Uh, no, she, so mum, mum, and my grandma are in Perth. In oh, Perth, Connection. sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. okay. Mm. Yeah. Uh, that that yeah, <laughs> I'm a bit. That's you kind of go. Wow, did that actually really? That's part of your history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, um, yeah, it was very, uh, yeah, one of those ones that kind of takes you back, but, and it puts you put things in perspective as well. Mm. Yeah. And when we, when we read, I read a lot about the battles and the war, because it did involve a lot of civilians. It was basically two armies fighting each other. It was more, they could, it wasn't a gentleman's war, but it was one of those wars where it was just done in open ground and didn't impact too much, you know, yeah. the peoples because it's just desert country. So, um, mm. but yeah, just interesting that he was, you know, that's, that's the role that he had. And he was colorblind as well. So I found out I actually inherited being colorblind from him because it's, um, my mum then became a carrier and then, yes, because uh, it comes son. down the female yeah, correct. side. Yeah. Of it. yeah. So yeah, there you go. Yeah. If you had the chance to go back in history, where, where would you go? Mm. 
his vision. Uh, and am, am I allowed to know what I know now, or just uh, 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 do I go back? <laughs> Stop overthinking things and just yeah. answer the question. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> I, um, do you know what I? I definitely like to have been around the time when uh, Charlie Tribble, his brother Bob, set up um, Tribble. Because his idea, and just, I, I guess people don't necessarily understand how he revolutionised the world as we know it in terms of GPS and how we take it for granted. Mm. And this is back in the 70s. So he was working at Hewlett Packard at the time, and he had worked on the um, transit satellite stuff for Hewlett Packard oh, and okay. the Magnavox stuff. And, and he had a couple of papers on the red circuit size of Hewlett Packard and stuff. And I think he pitched an idea to them, and they were so he set up Trimble um, Company um, on his own. And I would have liked to have been around just in those early days. I just they were just on some of the, some of the early stuff on yeah. GPS on on taking it from the, from the signal, but also how it became a survey tool. I think mm. it was just astounding how mm. we kind of take it for granted now that it's just there. It is, but, yeah. You know, but the signal structure, well, people are, signal structure is still pretty much the same as what they put, laid out in the 60s and 70s, you know, for how it works. Mm. I just find that, uh, yeah, I would like to be, yeah, I know it's sad, but like just those heady days when they were just, you know, putting stuff and how are we going to make it work, what can we do out of it? Because you know, having been on that side later on, and seeing how it evolved, mm. and you think, how did that get to where we are now? I think it's like, yeah. How did, it, how did they get that first thought? Yep. You're a bit of a survey geek, aren't you? Yeah, I can't help myself, sorry. <laughs> no, that's a bit sad, really. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm joking. My my um Instagram Instagram name is uh, Survey Geek Girl, so you can't get any worse <laughs> than that. <laughs> but you, you are it because that's what you call yourself. So, yeah. <laughs> Had to get something catchy. <laughs> Um, what would be the title of your memoir? Other than that, you know, other than the 41 year, a life well lived, because I've just, even today, where now I've loved every minute of it, there's yeah. still more to do. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, the old coy survey is fun. No, no. Um, Making you think here. Yeah. Um, especially if you wanted to, to make it catchy so someone buy the bloody thing. Um, you know. <laughs> um, um, relative. It's it is, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so probably something like the world really is a small place. Something like that. Oh, think, yeah. Just, just not only, not only the people and how small, but just as in when it comes to distances and stuff, the world really is a small place. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah, probably that. A few connotations around that. Yeah, yeah. How did you meet the love of your life? Ooh, that's a complex one. Yeah. Oh. Uh, uh, no, no. <laughs> I, I met. Uh, 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 I, uh, I met her in New Zealand, um, so I was quite heavily involved with scouting um, 
from Palo Alto Rovers, and I met her at a, an event in New Zealand, and um, she was a few years younger than I went, whoa, and um, chased her for a few years. Um, and, yeah, probably took me probably took me four or five years to get there. Um, I chased Ooh. her to London, so uh-huh. I knew her in New Zealand, she moved to New Zealand, uh, to London, and then I kind of went to London, we hooked up, and yeah, just... rest is history. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, if you had the choice of a get out of jail card or a key that opens any door, what would you choose? Key that opens any door. Yeah, lucky dip. <laughs> so, the outcome, yeah. I quite like the idea. What's behind door number one? You know, mm-hmm. I'm, I, I actually quite, yeah. I, I probably, yeah, definitely. Yeah, key to any door. Okay. Yep. Um, if you saw a puddle on the ground, would you walk around it, jump over it, or jump in it? Depends on whether the mood. Sometimes I would jump in it. Yeah. <laughs> Just especially if my son is walking to a son or daughter and I can splash them. Um, just because I like being sometimes being a little kid. Yeah, sometimes. Depends. Um, but I'd probably do all three. All three. Oh, I've never had an all three before. Yeah. I've had the, oh, it depends what shoes I've got on. <laughs> <laughs> if there's, a, if the opportunity and someone's walking and, and you can, and just, and, and timing and circumstances. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. The little, the little, the little joker would go, yeah, why not? Let's make it happen. <laughs> At a party, where would someone find you? Oh, um, generally talking to, um, uh, getting carried away deep in some conversation because I found someone really, really interesting and I want to know more about them. So I'm asking mm-hmm. them lots of questions and they're really interesting. Um, and, and walking between with them between that and the bar, I fill in my glasses, they went up. <laughs> You just take the bottle. <laughs> yeah. I've had a bit, yeah, I could have some decorum. <laughs> oh, oops, sorry. <laughs> is it is it my party or someone else's? Oh. <laughs> Why would, no, the, would it be different? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Depend, yeah. Depending on what level of manners I need to bring to the party. <laughs> uh, do you regret your decision? To become a surveillance? Never. Like I said, mm. um, I did, like I said earlier on my first year, I thought, oh, I'll get the first year out of the way yeah. um, and go and change course. Yeah, I had all the forms ready to go. But at the end of that year, that's when I got, well, towards the end of that year, I got that job with the um, uh, cadastral firm, small business, and I learned what, what is surveying. So, again, I went out. Instead of... A lot of my mm. mates just did uni without. They probably didn't even do their first crack work or you know live work until about in the second year. But I, I was like, well, I kind of need to understand what it is. So I went out and got this job. Um, yeah. And you just learn more. You get more that I got sucked into it, you know. And it's just never stop learning and understanding. You know, I love all forms of surveying. Everything has, and um, they're all interrelated in terms of technology outcomes. Um, they all measure something just different different to different accuracies. So no, I don't regret it. And it's taken mm. places 
I've met people and I've worked in industries that don't obviously, you know, wouldn't necessarily relate to surveying, but surveying is a massive part of what I is. You know, in terms of many software teams, you know, operating a rig, running ROVs, running divers, um, sat diving, um, just water, navigation, seismic, all of it. Mm, it's pretty cool. And stuff. be able to have a conversation like this. What, yes. what, 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 what many careers could have been varied as this, you know, yeah. we just, yeah. that's what I'm saying. We just need to, we need to just take our blinkers off. Look really broad, and it's a massively broad um, opportunity for surveying geospatial specialists. Mm. What's next for Bruce Baker? Um, there is something. No, 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 no. There, there is something. You'll see it on LinkedIn in the next probably two or three weeks. So, yeah. Um, you could say it because I'm probably not going to put you out for a little bit. No, longer. no, I'll wait. I'll, I'll wait. So, yeah. Um, um, yeah. Um, yeah, just probably the next logical step in in evolution where we go with our business. Um, God, I you know, tried. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good try. Yeah. Um, nearly, I nearly had it. Yeah, yeah, played a straight bat on that one. Um, yeah, look, it, exciting. Um, you know, kind of um, next logical step. Um, mm -hmm. um, and something I'm kind of looking forward to. Yeah. Um, awesome. Yeah, but yeah, uh, you you keep an eye out the next couple of weeks. You'll see it. I'm sure I will. Yeah, yeah. God damn it. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. Sorry about that. Ah, no, no, it's all good. That's all good. Uh, that's my hard hitting questions done, and the storytelling done. I just do a few quick shots now, and you just sort of say yes, no, hot, cold. Okay. Then we go from there. Tea or coffee? Coffee every time. No sugar. Milk? Uh, yes, a little bit. Yep. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Cat or dog? Definitely a dog. Sunrise or sunset? I like both. I prefer sunrise. Um, different type of light. Um, mm -hmm. When I'm working offshore, I like to see the sunrise. Mm -hmm. I think it's spectacular. Something just going from the darkness, going yeah. from the darkness to the light. It's different to go the light the dark. Um, yeah, just from your eyes, it's just magical. Yep. Mm. Summer or winter? Both. Like them both. Mm -hmm. uh, um, I like the snowboard and ski and stuff in the winter and mountain biking in the summer. Um, like them both. Oh, and you've got the perfect place to do that, don't you? Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Roller coasters, do you love or hate them? I love them. <laughs> Why yeah. does that not surprise me? Uh, yeah. <laughs> three, uh, <laughs> three items you would take to a desert island. <laughs> Say that again. Three, three items you would take to a desert island. Oh, my email sat seat. No, um, probably um, my water, my food, and my shelter. Favorite song uh, or artist? You can go artist. Oh, my, my daughter asks me this all the time. What's your favorite? Um, I'm, I like a lot of stuff. Uh -huh. um, um, but probably my go-to is probably just food fighters. Yep. Mm -hmm. Introvert or extrovert? I can be both. Um, mm -hmm. 
yeah, um, uh, yeah, I can, I can be both, depending on the situation, what I need situation. to be. Yeah, yeah, so I can adjust what I, um, and I'm confident when I do that. Um, you don't need to be, you know, like I said, two ears, one mouth. Um, <laughs> so you, yeah. If your glass half full or half empty? Definitely half full. Mm-hmm. One thing you'd never do again. Something I would never do again. Oh, I actually, Hard one. yeah, I don't think there's anything. Oh, look, unless there's probably one or two relationships you'd never do again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just leaving that note. We, we always have one of those. Don't yeah, we? yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I'm there with you with that yeah, one. Yeah. Um, there's been a certain situation where. Um, it's not where I'd never do it again. You know, dealing with um, when you have people and uh, that are you know, seriously injured or killed in the workplace, and you're having to deal with that. Uh, mm. That's always tough. That's not something that I um, I'm doing. It's part of the role, but um, yeah, yeah um, that I would never want to do again. Yeah. I'd rather keep everybody safe and not have, yeah. have go and see a a, 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 um, a partner or a family member. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah probably that one. one. If you had a warning label, what would it be? And you know the stick on the windows, um, sometimes things appear closer than they actually are. <laughs> on the, on the, that's me. <laughs> Who knows you best? Oh. That's a good question. Obviously, uh, probably my, yeah, probably my wife, yeah. Mm-hmm. A little bit of hesitation in it. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Favorite subject in school? Oh, definitely maths and physics. Mm-hmm. What was your favorite childhood memory? Yeah. We um when I was when we were young and living in um, Newman, our first, my first real trip away with my dad, um, mum and dad was to Penang, up in Malaysia. And I'm thinking it's mm-hmm. probably nineteen, it's either nineteen eighty, nineteen eighty one. When you know you generally didn't travel a lot in those days, mm-hmm. um, but I just thought it was so awesome going to this island and just the smells, the and going to the markets and just uh, yeah, I thought that was um, and just the hotel on the beach and just meet Pete. Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, mm. probably that. Yeah, I must have been, what was I, probably, I want to say, nine or ten. Yeah. Yeah. Favourite food? Oh, I like many things. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. Favourite food? Um, probably seafood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably seafood, yeah. Nice. Favourite drink? Oh, I've already given it away. It's definitely red wine. Yeah. What yeah. one? Merlot. Uh, look, again, I, I've got broad. Yeah, I'm broad. I like, depending on, you know, um, very parochial to Margaret River in WA, obviously, mm-hmm. so more the Shiraz, mm-hmm. Cabernet. But I love um, Pinot from, say, Tassie or South Island, New Zealand, or around the Marlborough region. Um, yeah, or even some of the Italian, you know, some of the older telegraphs. Oh. Oh, yeah, I have lots. Yeah, yeah, I just. <laughs> okay, yeah. red wine connoisseur. Yeah. Uh, what's your pet peeve? Oh, 
Um, uninformed people, people who don't, um, especially, uh, yeah, people who don't can't do critical analysis or um, probably irks me. And social media is great for this, where just no tolerance and no mm-hmm. critical thinking to understand something. Mm-hmm. Got to, we've got to teach our kids, you know, the, the ability to do critical thinking. It's even more so now than ever because oh, of that yeah. false information they get bombarded with. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, yeah. yeah, so that's that was so that's yeah, that's yeah. yeah, no, that's so true. Um, win the lottery or have the perfect job? Both. I've already got the. Um, <laughs> oh no, you've got a pretty good job yesterday. already. You know, I, uh, Make the money uh, and run. So, given that I've got the perfect. Yeah, yeah, so <laughs> you know, I've got the perfect job, I've had the money, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> what's, your, <laughs> what's your biggest fear? Getting old, um, oh. in terms of mobility. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, just because um, I love, you know, biking and, and that kind yeah. of stuff. I just, um, uh, yeah, just getting, just losing my mobility. I think, not that it is, but, you know, I just think, yeah, you hit a certain milestone. Um, I, I, I tell you, I'm 50s and near 40s. So, um, but yeah, just, um, when we traveled, you know, when I lived overseas, it was still going on, you know, you live in places like Europe and stuff like that. You kind of you just do lots of active stuff all the time yeah. and you just I kind of never stop and I don't want it to stop. Mm. So, yeah. Mm. Uh, morning or night person? Well, we know that one. Yeah, night, yeah. Mm-hmm. What's your proudest moment? Um, when first child was born and then when the second child was born, yeah, that's just, um, yeah, you just you can't, yeah, you know, I think all the, all my personal uh, enjoyment that that's pales in significance, yeah, it kind yeah. of humbles you. So, yeah, mm-hmm. probably, yes, definitely those two, yeah. Mm-hmm. What's something you would tell your younger self? Just, yeah, kind of read it. And I've been thinking about this doing the mentor program. Going back and um, backing yourself. So my younger self to Yeah, what, what, would, you, what would you tell your son, younger self? Yeah, um, to be a little bit more adventurous. Ask mm-hmm. people. Um, and Because the worst they can say is no. You know, and then don't take the first rejection. You know, keep at it. Yep. Good. On a scale of one to ten. How cool are you? My lunchbox, I'm definitely a nine, but, uh, you know, it took to my, it took to other people, probably only a five. I think I'm hilarious, but, you know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. I love yeah. it. Dream car. Adam? What's, uh, what would be your dream car? Oh, uh, that would be an Aston Martin. Oh, yep. nice. Yeah, 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 yeah. Without a shadow of a doubt. I don't, I don't care if it's environmentally unfriendly. I don't give a shit. Yeah. <laughs> British racing green and yeah, makes. Oh, yeah. I was about to say, mm. what, uh, is it a DB9? British yeah, racing yeah, green? Yeah, yeah, yeah. DB9 or one of the uh, vanquishers or something like that, yeah. Mm, yeah. Nice. Favourite colour? 
Blue. Blue. Boys say blue. Yeah, I know, yeah. Oh, is that because you can see it? Yeah, and we got blue <laughs> eyes as well, yeah. <laughs> well, I can't see your eyes from here. Uh, are you Apple or Android? Oh, definitely Apple. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, um, yeah, definitely Apple. Uh, and look, I certainly when I've done a lot of software development work, yeah, Android gives you a lot more flexibility. It's got a wild child and gives you, you know, but I, what I like about Apple is the order and the uh, structure of Apple, uh, and the, which then comes with security. So, yeah, that probably tells you a little bit more about me. Yeah, Apple. Yes. Yes. Well, that was one of my next questions. Are you uh, neat or messy? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. But without being too obsessive about it. Uh-huh. You know, okay. a, yeah. Is your wife messy? <laughs> Pass. <laughs> My husband's a neat freak. I'm the messy one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know where everything is. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure you do. <laughs> but it's messy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And lastly, what star sign are you? Aries. An Aries. Yeah, oh. yeah. yeah. Hmm. Cool. All right. Well, that's it from me. So thank you so much for joining me today. No problems at all. I've had fun. Hopefully, um, I haven't bored any bored you or bored any of your listeners, but um No, no, yeah. I always get a good laugh having a chat with people and learning new things and all that sort of stuff. So it's uh yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. Learning. No, look I appreciate it. thank you very much for the offer. Um and um having me on and um yeah, look hopefully someone gets a little bit uh, some insights and some uh information out of it. I think yeah, just yeah, That's yeah, what it's yeah. all about. Yeah, I mean, getting just you know, everyone just look broad. Um, we can have such a positive impact on so many different things. Um, yeah. What we exactly. do, just, just yeah, don't be um, don't be bound um, unless you really want to. But you know, it, there's lots of there's lots of different things that we can we can really do and have an impact on. And you know, things I've done on I've kind of you know, I'd like to show that there is a way. There's we, yeah. And it's a big, wide, amazing world up there, not mm. only just physically but also from a technology and what we do and what the value we can do and the quick sure. person where that adds value to people. And, yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, lastly, uh, I usually ask if anybody has any charities or anything that they like to to promote and sort of put out there. Yeah, just for me, I guess um, in with it, you know, Beyond Blue for me. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think. You know, especially down here in Melbourne and a lot of our, you know, um, I've got quite a few mates and we all ring up and we all, we, everyone has their moments, you know, and yeah. I think it's about being um, attuned to it. I think if anything, you become more, you know, that, that level of emotion sometimes about recognising when you maybe you're changing. So, yeah, for me, it'd be beyond mm. blue. I think it's, yeah, front and centre for me at the moment. Yeah, fantastic. Mm. All right, well, thank you so much. No worries at all, Peter. I hope you enjoyed today's chat with Bruce. Make sure you like, subscribe and leave a review on my channels. Catch you in a fortnight when I speak to Michael Lamont, retired land surveyor. Defining Boundaries with Peter Cox.